Coming right up, Straight Talk with Art Levine. Our guest tonight, former presidential speechwriter Craig Smith, as we begin our 23rd anniversary season. Straight Talk is brought to you in part by the Port of Long Beach, a leader in international trade and environmental stewardship. And the Press-Telegram, your local news leader for over 100 years. And Scan Health Plan, for your health and independence. Join us for tonight's edition of Straight Talk. And now your host, Art Levine. Good evening and welcome to Straight Talk. We have a great show for you tonight. Our guest for the entire show is former presidential speechwriter, Dr. Craig Smith. Craig, welcome back to Straight Talk. Good to be here again. Let me put a plug in for Craig's book, Confessions of a Professional Speechwriter. It, uh, it's done very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, let's talk about the president, uh, President Obama, who was a magnificent campaigner, articulate, beat the Clintons, which is no easy task. That's right. And uh, what's happening today? Well, you know, one of the reasons he was successful, he was the first person, you know, right after the Iowa caucuses to give a scripted acceptance speech. Most of the people, you know, would run out there and yell, hooray, we won. He gave this speech that was on teleprompters and it looked so professional and it was so exciting that it really revved up his campaign. And then he did it again when he won the South Carolina primary. And so his campaigning took on a kind of charismatic aura to it that really attracted a lot of young people, a lot of minority groups. He, he won overwhelmingly. Four years later, when he runs again, he runs six million votes behind where he ran in 2008. Why? I think there, there was a feeling that he had not kept all the promises he had made. There was a feeling that he was indifferent to some of the problems that were going on in the country. Uh, and then uh, I think his presidential rhetoric is not nearly as charismatic as his campaign rhetoric. And that was four years ago, six million short, and now, two years later, uh, his, his polls are tanking. He's at 45%, yeah. and people feel the sense of disengagement. I think there's, there are, again, a lot of reasons for that. Uh, he, he, he isn't leading, he's following. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's reactive instead of proactive. I mean, we're seeing that in Syria. We're seeing that in Iraq. Um, there are people calling for action. This, this horrible terrorist group, ISIS, is uh, chopping people up on, on camera. And he's in Martha's Vineyard playing golf. I mean, this is yeah. ridiculous. That was a bad message uh, uh, to have him going off for a two-week vacation golfing while these terrorist groups are, are performing these outrageous acts. Absolutely, and, and you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. There's, there's not enough he can say to make up for that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I just, uh, you wonder why the disengagement at this point, or uh, as Senator Feinstein said, uh, uh, why is he so cautious? Well, he's kind of caught because uh, he campaigned on getting us out of the two wars and he deeply feels that we've uh, used military too much. And so that's his bias, that's his instinct, and yet the facts seem to be calling for a much more aggressive 
foreign policy. Yeah, and I wish him the best of luck with his air campaign. I mean, it'd be much better if we could do this from the air and avoid boots on the ground. But this whole uh, thing about boots on the ground is such a, a, a misperception. We have more defense contractors on the ground <laughs> in Iraq than we had under George W. Bush at any time. We have more CIA agents on the ground in Iraq than so we've ever had. do those had. count or not count? Well, uh, they're invisible, they don't count, <laughs> it's a black op, we don't see them. But to say, you know, we don't have boots on the ground is really silly. And of course, we left at least uh, 30,000 troops behind for security reasons. Where? They're not, in, in Iraq. They're not in combat positions. They're helping with hospitals. I thought, I thought oh, uh, all the combat troops were out, that's but 30,000. That's the technical I word, see. absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about message delivery. How come Barack Obama was so gifted in the campaign to defeat Bill, uh, Hillary Clinton, yeah. the Clintons really, the yeah, team. In the, in, yeah, in the primary. And yet, uh, why is he having such difficulty uh, uh, with his message as president? I think when you're out there campaigning, you're offering people hope, you're offering people promises. He certainly did that. When you're governing, it's a whole different thing. Then you have to deliver on them. He delivered on the health care promise. He didn't get us out of Iraq as fast as he said he would. Uh, he didn't come through on uh, same-sex marriage as quickly as, as, as he Guantanamo could Guantanamo is still open. It's, and expanding. They're building new buildings down there. Uh, so there, there have been these violations of the promises he made. That comes with governing. It, it, it compromised. In fairness, he would not be right. the first president that could not deliver oh, no. on I mean, all the promises. H, George H.W. Bush, for whom I worked, made a promise in a campaign, no new taxes. Then he had to go back on it. It led to his defeat. Uh, that happens all the time. You just have to be careful, I think. As Which promises you don't keep. That, well, <laughs> or make. I mean, or, no, make. Or, or make them conditionally, you know. Don't uh, overstate but, it. Yeah, I mean, barring unforeseen circumstances, no new taxes would be a much better way to have put that. But it doesn't quite. Doesn't have the grab. Read my lips. Yeah, right. you know, well, welcome to democracy, and that, that, that's the kind of thing that happens. Well, you, your field is, uh, you're, you're, you, you worked, as you mentioned, uh, for uh, uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush. Uh, you worked for President Ford. Yeah. Give us a sense of the importance of, uh, of the speechwriter and the speeches. Well, I think what you want to do as a speechwriter is trying to capture the persona of the person you're working for. You want to maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. For example, George H.W. Bush was terrific at news conferences. So let's put him into that venue more than we put him into another venue. Ronald Reagan was terrific at State of the Union addresses. So let's make sure he's featured in the evening of the State of the Union address. So those are some of the d decisions you make. But the, the real key to it, I think, is word choice and finding things that represent that persona. For me, for H.W. George H.W. Bush, it was, I want a kinder, gentler nation. That was the man that we knew, sensitive, intelligent, a gentleman. And you don't want to put words in a speech that you know your client uh, is not familiar with. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, we actually, in, in uh, the Ford administration, we had a list of words uh, that were not to be put in the speech because when uh, Gerald Ford was growing up, he learned a, a mispronunciation in, in grade school. Uh, in certain parts of Michigan, they say judgment instead of judgment. And so uh, people would think he, he didn't know how to pronounce the word when it's the English pronunciation of the and word. And finally, you pointed out on an earlier visit that some presidents are more conversational and others more scripted. Just talk about that for a yeah, second. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Barack Obama, he's very scripted, he likes the teleprompter, and 
uh, prepositional phrases march across his speeches. It's like Lincoln, of the people, by the people, for the people. But Clinton, Bill Clinton, was very conversational. It wasn't like that at all. He would go off script. He would do riffs on it. Very natural. Both are effective, but very different styles. And there was an incident with Clinton where the teleprompter jammed, and he just kept going for several minutes, and when it was fixed, he just picked it up, and right. people never knew. He was very bright, very adaptable, could cover any kind of situation like that, uh, and that's what made him such a good speaker. Okay, when we come back, uh, Craig will give us his view of Congress and the state legislature. You won't want to miss it. At the Port of Long Beach, we're not only delivering jobs, smart ideas, and forward-thinking environmental initiatives. We're also delivering opportunity for all of Southern California. Oh, and a clearer horizon line. To learn more, go to polb.com, the port of Long Beach, thinking outside the docks. Hello, I'm Jessica Hardy, a proud Long Beach native and a member of the USA Swimming national team. Having spent much of my life in water, I've developed a deep appreciation for the valuable role that this precious resource plays in our lives. In recent years, California's water supply has become unreliable. To address this reality, Long Beach residents have dramatically reduced their water use through permanent lifestyle changes. In doing so, Long Beach has made itself a leader in water conservation. As I work hard to achieve my personal goal of qualifying for the 2012 Summer Olympics, I encourage you to continue your tremendous efforts to use water in smart and responsible ways. So join me and your fellow Long Beach residents in strengthening the water conservation movement. By making small but significant changes in our water use habits, together we can ensure that we have a reliable water supply for many generations to come. There's a world of opportunity available through the College of Continuing and Professional Education at Cal State Long Beach. Does your career involve legal work, law enforcement, fraud investigation, or crime scene analysis? You can increase your skill level and enhance your career by enrolling in the Basic Applied Forensic Science and Crime Analysis Certificate Program. For more information, contact the College of Continuing and Professional Education at Cal State Long Beach. Continuing this great conversation with former presidential speechwriter Craig Smith. Craig, let's talk about Congress and prospects for change. What's the likelihood that the Republicans will hold the House and also that the Republicans could even take the Senate? Well, let's remember that we've, we, we're on a roller coaster. We have this huge Democratic turnout in presidential elections because people are interested in the presidency and then they vote on down the ticket. Then we go into the off year, like 2010, and the Democratic turnout is very low, minority turnout is lower, and the Republicans make a great comeback. Then we have a presidential election like 2012, the Democrats are back. So big. more voters is basically good for Democrats. Exactly right, exactly right. The hardcore Republicans come out, rain or right, shine. Right, right. And I think what's gonna happen is this is gonna be another good Republican year, uh, another good off midterm uh, year for the Republicans because a lot of people are disaffected from the economy even though it's making a comeback. It's not with the kind of jobs people want. It's not with the kind of income. And it's a very slow increase. It's a very slow increase. People are upset about the Middle East. Um, they're dissatisfied with, with, with other things and so they may just not go to the polls. So two reasons for a, you're predicting a likely strong Republican uh, uh, result is uh, the off-year election impact and 
the president's popularity now is, is down. down to what 45 percent. Yeah, in some polls, 42. And I think uh, you also get a clear signal when Democratic candidates like Mary Landrieu in Louisiana, candidate for Senate, says, "Keep the president out of Louisiana, please, until the election's over." Really? Yeah. And even Dianne Feinstein has had some problems. With well, the yes, and, and she's been critical of the president. And so um, I think because you're going to be voting for the House in single member districts, many of which were redistricted by the Republicans across the country, the Republicans will probably pick up 10 seats in the House. In the Senate, it's m m much different because people will look at the personalities in the Senate races because they're statewide, they're bigger, they get more publicity. And there, I think the Republicans will be lucky if they split the Senate with the Democrats. And then the vice president would cast the organizing vote. How many seats would the Republicans need to pick up to have a majority in the Senate? Six. And you're predicting they'll get five? Five. <laughs> and then the Joe Biden cast the, cast the deciding vote. So okay. that would mean more turmoil, more, more division. Turmoil. Yeah. And uh, uh, Congress's approval ratings, I think, are in the 20s or something. Even lower. Even in lower. some polls, 15 percent. Uh, and would you say they're still dysfunctional? Yeah, I, I, I think they are. Uh, every once in a while, they get right to the edge of the cliff, and then a deal is cut. But I think, again, the public is getting very tired of going to the edge of the cliff. Yeah. They're, they're tired of the dysfunction. And basically, they're saying a plague on both your houses. I'm not interested anymore. It doesn't seem to make any difference who we vote for. The whole thing gets all tied up and nothing gets done. And that may impact turnout. Absolutely. It's going to be very low. Let's take a look at the state. Uh, how's the governor doing, Jerry Brown? I think the governor's doing very well. His approval rates, ratings are very high. I think there are two areas where he's vulnerable. Uh, to his opponent, Neil Kashkari. One is the bullet train. I think it's too expensive, and a lot of people think it's I nonsense. I don't get it. Yeah. We, uh, we need a lot of things in California. I don't think we need a bullet train. We don't have the money. It's billions the, and billions. The initial of segment is going to be built from nowhere to nowhere. Right, right. I think the other place he's vulnerable is he's now signed on to appealing what's known as the Vagara case, which is about uh, K through 12 tenure standards. And a uh, judge ruled that these tenure standards that are in place now uh, are unfair to kids because they protect incompetent teachers. And deprive them of a good education, which is an equal, an e yeah, equal, an e equal education. That, yeah. Absolutely right, under Brown versus Board of Education. And the governor has come down on the side of the teachers' union, and I think he's, he's very vulnerable on that issue. Mm -hmm. But everywhere else, he looks pretty solid. And of course, the legislature is very unpopular, except for individual legislators. Everyone loves their legislator, That's but right. they can't stand them. That's right. Let's talk about turnout. Uh, in the latest issue of our Straight Talk magazine, I have a little column on leadership matters and the importance of turnout and the importance of voting. And uh, over 200 years, uh, Americans have died for, to secure the right to vote and other freedoms, and yet we take it for granted. Uh, people who immigrate here legally often have a greater appreciation of the value yes. of voting than, than uh, native-born Americans. So uh, uh, your view on the importance of turnout. Well, I think educated voters should turn out. Uh, voters who've studied the propositions. Well, how do we how do we weed those out from those well, that have? Well, we don't. We don't. I mean, you, you can't. You just have to rely on 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 people doing the sensible thing and not voting on propositions that they know nothing about. Uh, we yell about this on cable. We yell about it on news programs. You know, Thomas Jefferson said, "Democracy cannot function without an educated public," and. 
they need to inform themselves on the issues. The other thing that would improve things greatly in California, and then I wouldn't mind big turnout so much, is if we ended the proposition and initiative uh, format and had the legislature do their job instead of passing it on to the citizens. Well, wasn't those two things incorporated because the uh, Hiram Johnson, yeah. the legislature was not doing their job, right. and now the people, Prop 13, a classic example, right. the legislature was the one that triggered Prop 13 because they they didn't address the problem of escalating assessments and people were losing their homes because right. they couldn't pay the taxes. Right. So the people stepped up and we still have a vigorous Prop 13. Yeah, but look at the provisions, the other provisions of Prop 13 that nobody paid any attention to. It exclude, businesses are not excluded, so they get the same benefit that a homeowner gets. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you can move and carry your Proposition 13 status with you from one county to another. That's kind of ridiculous. Uh, there are other provisions in there that uh, the people didn't know were there. They voted on one thing, and that was, you can't raise my property taxes. But they didn't look at the rest of the proposition. It's a bad piece of legislation, and it's put this state in debt. It took a lot of county money away from the counties and sent it to Sacramento, where it gets redistributed, and we know what happens to that. Would you accept the proposition that the level of government closest to the people generally makes better decisions and, and the further away you go, ending in Washington, the worst decisions. Generally speaking, yes, I think so. But if you've got an interstate matter or a national security matter, that's yeah. what the government is there for. But the minute the government got into K through 12 education, I got very scared. Uh, that, that should never have happened. Schooling is a state and local matter, it's not federal. And good school districts have vigorous PTAs and parental involvement, that's what makes yes. a school and a school system good. Right, right. I mean, parents care about Not the education of their children. Not if you're in Washington going right. through a checklist. That's right. I won't ask you what you think of Obamacare, because I figure <laughs> we know from what you were just saying. Well, I think Obamacare is confusing, but one of the, it, it keeps facing court tests. The latest test, Obamacare, the legislation says, you get this money if you're a member of, the, of a state organization, a state exchange. Well, some states don't have, they didn't participate. So those people may lose all their money if a literal reading is taken. Now, the court could say by state it meant government and the federal exchange replaces the state exchange, and it's okay. But the first ruling went the other way. What caught my attention was that the bill was 4,700 pages, and n virtually none of the legislators voting for it had read it. No, I mean, they don't even read That's novels. That's a little shocking. It's, it's larger than a novel, and they don't read that much in the novel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in the next segment, uh, we'll have uh, Craig Smith knew our mayor, Robert Garcia, when he was a student at Long Beach State and was AS president and counseled him. You won't want to miss that discussion. How do you like your chances the rest of the way? I got no idea. But I do know that if we stay with Naples Rib Company, at least we won't go hungry. Coach, what do you think about some of those questionable calls tonight? Oh, yeah. But if you want a sound call, I'd call Naples Rib Company. You can't miss on that call. Then Naples Rib Company is part of your game plan? There really is nothing more motivating than a great barbecue meal at Naples Rib Company. Victory or not, Naples Rib Company, great game plan. Founded in 1976, Polly's Gourmet Coffee is Southern California's most complete gourmet coffee store. Polly's has the best tasting coffee, freshly roasted every day right in the store. Plus a wide selection of teas, an in-house bakery, espresso bar, patio dining, and more. 
We also offer Wi-Fi, free internet access for all of our customers. Our nationwide clientele agree, when it comes to coffee, there's only one name to remember. Polly's, 4606 East 2nd Street, welcoming you into Belmont Shore. When I was a boy growing up in Italy, I had a dream to own my own store. I came to the United States and I worked hard as a tailor. Hi, I'm Umberto. I've been in Long Beach since 1960, carrying the finest quality men's clothing. It was a long way away, but styles are just around the corner. Umberto, 2141 Bellflower, Long Beach. I think the dancing started right around the time we got Charter. All of a sudden, he's downloading all these music videos and prancing around like some show pony. I even caught him dancing along to musicals on demand. I've never seen him so much as tap his foot. I just didn't get it. And then one day, I did. Get TV, internet, and phone for $29.99 each per month. Charter, make way for more. Craig, let's turn to local politics. Uh, we recently had uh, elections in June and a new mayor, Robert Garcia, former AS president here on our campus many years ago. And he, the first time he ran on campus, he lost. Yeah, I, I, I have a slogan when I, when I consult with candidates. I really prefer candidates who've lost once so that they know how that feels and they become more professional. Yeah, Robert run for, ran for ASI president on the campus. He lost the election. Uh, he happened to pop into my campaign persuasion class, uh, took, <laughs> took three units with me, ran again, and bingo, and, and, and bingo we won. So there you go. There you go. Uh, now, uh, and you counseled him personally on communication. Yeah, yeah I have uh, over time. But remember, this guy uh, went on to USC and got a master's degree in communication at USC. Um, he then worked in public relations for uh, Long Beach City College. So he knows what he's doing. And then he went on the council and served on the council. Uh, became the vice mayor. Vice mayor, uh, elected by his colleagues, uh, which tells you he can build consensus, that he creates a kind of consensus. I think that will be the hallmark of his administration. I think it's going to be a little less confrontational than it was under former Mayor Foster. Which is not difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but I notice an infectious enthusiasm in, in and, and Robert Garcia that I was not fully aware of before. Yeah, he loves the city and he's very engaged in the city. Uh, he wants to make it a better place. Um, you know, this is a kid that uh, transferred here from Peru and became a nationalized American citizen. Uh, it's a wonderful story uh, that somebody who, who immigrates to America can become, you know, the mayor of a very large and city. And this gets back to what we said earlier that sometimes uh, it's the immigrants who appreciate our Absolutely. system even more than we do. Oh, and you know, that goes back to the Irish and the Germans who came over. Yeah. Uh, our biggest immigration year was 1907, and uh, the Irish were very uh, good about voting, whether they lived in New York or Boston, and you had to go to those people and see who, who, who was heading the organization, and you had to get that immigrant vote if you were going to win the Democratic primary and then go on to win the, 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 the overall election. Why, uh, there were eight or nine candidates for mayor, why did Robert Garcia win? Uh, I think, number one, he had the best ground game. He had the door-to-door -door thing going. He had a terrific absentee ballot uh, uh, campaign going. Uh, and then he's a very good speaker. He, he, people like him. Uh, he's infectious. He has a great smile. He's fluent. He knows how to use the language. And then if you looked at any of the debates, uh, I thought he performed very well. He 
stayed on message. I noticed yeah. that he was very disciplined, and he and he speaks very well. He's good yeah. articulation. Yeah. Uh, did you help a bit with that? Well, in the past, I think. Um, I, you know, one of the things that impressed me in, in this campaign, um, there was some negativity when it got down to the final two, but you can't avoid that. But when Damon Dunn and Robert debated one another, I thought that was such a classy debate. They were so specific and so on the issues and had so much evidence. It outshined any of the presidential debates I've heard recently. It was really so good. They both did a good job. Yes. We were here on campus for that, and they both did a yeah. very good job went over, shook hands afterwards, and yeah. there seemed to be a Well, they hugged one another in the middle of the debate. <laughs> you know, they, were, they like one another. Uh, unfortunately, they have to report to a campaign that has to do other yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, we have to wish them well, because uh, it's, uh, it's not an easy job. The, no. the budget, uh, although just was passed with a, another balanced budget with a bit of a surplus, uh, coming down the road is that railroad train, and it's the PERS uh, increases that each city is going to be uh, yeah. burdened with that's going to get us back in the hole. Yeah, we renegotiated some of that under Mayor Foster with Robert Garcia's help, and I think uh, some more needs to be done or, or the cities are going to go bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, Long Beach is in good shape. we got a lovely port out there that's supplying us with some money. God bless the port. I mean, uh, absolutely, that, absolutely. That uh, has been helpful not only because of the jobs that it creates, but Financially, it's been a, a great assist to the city. And they've also redistributed some of their funds for environmental purposes. Uh, at, at the uh, Rancho uh, Los Cerritos, where I'm on the board, um, they gave us uh, half a million dollars uh, to recondition the area and create a natural California garden. So, I mean, they're doing things for the city. And just for the record, the port is a leading green port in the world. They yes. are doing cutting-edge work. Yeah. Okay, we'll be back with the rest of our show, but we have to pause for these messages. Bill Trainees mixes California style with continental cuisine that includes fresh seafood from around the world. Since Phil is the chef, the menu has a wide variety of pastas, salads, soups, and appetizers that feature his unique personal touch. And the Italian-American signature dishes are simply beyond delicious. You never know who you're gonna run into at Trainees, from the famous sports legends on the Wall of Fame to local celebrities having a drink at the bar. For the best fine dining experience, visit Phil Training. At Performance Plus Tire, you'll find we carry Toyo tires. For over 50 years, Toyo has been a world leader in the development of high quality tires. Optimum performance, safety, and a comfortable ride. That's what makes Toyo tires great. And now come into Performance Plus Tire for a great deal on these Toyo tires. Proxies ST, Open Country AT, and Proxies 4. Toyo tires, driven to perform. Come in today and we'll install new Toyo tires on your vehicle while you wait. Performance Plus Tire on Cherry Avenue, one mile north of the 405 in Long Beach. those who are closest to you, from our family to yours. McCarty's Jewelry, since 1932. There's a world of opportunity available through the College of Continuing and Professional Education at Cal State Long Beach. Would you like to move ahead in the field of human resources and personnel management? Sign up for the Human Resources Management Certificate Program. 
you'll learn how to expand your knowledge and skills and advance in this dynamic industry. For more information, contact the College of Continuing and Professional Education at Cal State Long Beach. I think we're very fortunate to have on our campus a faculty member of the quality of Dr. Craig Smith. He's the director of the Center for First Amendment Studies, and this book that he just wrote is his 16th book, a prolific author and highly respected in the field. And he just learned this morning, the day of this taping, that uh, the submission of his book uh, was uh, accepted and uh, he has uh, received the 2014 Bruce Grumbach Political Communication Research Award. Uh, the committee reviewed the book and the applications, and you are the winner of this year's Grumbach Award. Congratulations, Craig. Thank you, Art. And you'll be going out to Chicago to receive the yes, award. Yes, it's, it's an award from the National Communication Association, and at their annual meeting they'll present the award, and I'm very humbled by it. I really am. And what's the essence of this book. It's talking about different styles of communication. Well, it talks about my life as a speechwriter, uh, working for CBS and then working for President Ford and then for President Bush and then starting the Center for First Amendment Studies here on this campus. What a thrill to, to, to write for a president and then hear on a nationally televised speech the words that, that a speechwriter writes. It is. It's, it's really heady stuff. Uh, you, you, you write a paragraph and suddenly it's coming out of the president's mouth and 200 million people are hearing it. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's an amazing kind of experience. Well, again, thank you for all the work you do here on campus and in the community and congratulations on the award. Thank you, Art. Please join us next week for the next edition of Straight Talk. Good night, everyone. Straight Talk has been brought to you by the Port of Long Beach, the Press-Telegram, and Scan Health Plan. And remember, Straight Talk is viewable 24-7 at straighttalktv.com.